Welcome to the Grace Church Podcast. We are a small church located in West Lafayette, Indiana. This podcast is our recorded Sunday morning teachings. Join us as we learn to love, grow, and share what God has given us. Welcome. We have a new speaker up here today. It happens to be me. And uh, <clears throat> my name is Chris Biang. Some people know who I am because I'm Tom's dad, so I, that's my identification. Uh, if you have um, sat down and not received any notes, uh, raise your hand and Zirka will pass them out. So that'll just give you a little something to read um, as you go home. So how many of you went to the ch uh, chili cook-off yesterday? It was probably one of the best ones I've been at. It was wonderful. We had two paramedics there in case things were too hot, but we didn't need them. I thought, man, maybe we need them today after the after effects. But I had this strange chili, and I'm going to name it Bolivian chili because it was partially from Brazil, and then there's chili, and Bolivia is in between. So I think we'll call it Bolivian. And the wife of the cook... I won't mention names, Brenda, because I don't want to embarrass you, um, told me that it was made with cassava. So I'm an expert on cassava. <laughs> now, does anybody know what that is? Okay, some of you do. And it's a root that's in competition to the potato. And it's pretty popular everywhere except here. And um, she made her, or he made the chili which was excellent and had little bits of steak in there. So if you ever get invited over to their house for dinner, ask for the Bolivian chili because it was really good. So, yeah. And, and they won't even charge you probably. <laughs> we'll see. I should say probably. We don't know. Um, so we are continuing in the book of First Peter and we're in, chapter 3, near the end, and I hope not to go as long as previous teachers did. And we're going to try to keep this a little shorter, because I only really have four verses to go over, though I'll use a few earlier ones for context. And one of the verses is kind of startling, and a little bit controversial. And so we'll dive into that one and see why it is, but we're going to look up the context around that verse so you get a good understanding of that. So before we do this, some of us were meeting earlier and praying and thinking about how I need to do my part in sharing the word. And the Holy Spirit needs to do his part in speaking to your heart, but he can't speak to a heart that's concrete. It'll just bounce right off. And so right now I'm going to pray. And if you really want to hear from the Holy Spirit, then let's tell them, hey, speak to my heart. Because, I mean, y'all got up early to come to hear God's word, and hopefully we will. So let's pray together and that you would be hungry for what he has to share. So Lord, today we thank you for the chance to go through 1 Peter 3. We pray that you'd help us understand a little bit more about <clears throat> what these verses are saying and how they work and how they're different than what we expect. 
And I pray that you'd open our hearts up to be making um, lifelong convictions as a result of what we hear today. Amen. Okay, so here's our topic. Baptism, does it save you? I'll get into this a little bit more as we go on, but first we should probably read today's text. So we're going to go through, and this is also on your notes, so you can read it if you don't like looking at slides. So, <clears throat> Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Corresponding to that, so this is one of those connecting words, baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels, authorities, and powers had been subjected to him. Okay, so let's get some background here about when he says, corresponding to this, baptism now saves you, corresponding to what? And the context here is the story of Noah. So, how many of you absolutely know everything about the story of Noah? Tom, it, my son, knows everything about that. Somehow I think that's wonderful. <laughs> so Noah, <clears throat> before him, the world was going downhill fast, and God was not happy with the state of mankind. And he was going to destroy the whole population of the earth, but he found eight people that had some type of reverence in their heart towards him and were trying to lead a life of um, reverence towards God and um, a holy life. And so eight people out of, I don't know how many people around in the Noahic culture, but let's say millions. And all these millions he wanted to destroy but he didn't want to destroy the eight people because they were in relationship with him and they were um, Noah was like a friend to God, which I think is kind of a cool thing to be a friend of God. And so what was going on is God sitting there thinking whatever he did. He was thinking, I'm going to have Noah build this gigantic rowboat and that will be a sign to all the people around that there's destruction coming. And he did that. God had informed him to put two of every type of animal in the ark and then to um, close it up, pitch it up with pitch so it was watertight, and then wait, and the rains would come down and destroy all the evil of the world and wipe out the earth, and then he would start over. And if you want to get a good idea about the ark and all the stuff connected with it visually, drive down to somewhere near Cincinnati and look at a replica. <clears throat> it's awesome and 
amazing and explains all the details that Tom could explain to you today, but you could go down there and see it firsthand. And to think of one guy building this so that he would be saved along with the other seven people was a tremendous testimony of God wanting to save the righteous that were living by faith and not let them experience what the world was going to experience. And so for us as Christians, that story is pretty amazing that um, here God showed in the past what he was going to do, and what he's going to do for us is that we're not going to experience all the same things that the world will experience um, because he has a way of helping those who love him. And so here, um, Noah's world was pretty pretty wicked, but the results are pretty cool. And so here's some little trivia on the side. I was kind of buzzing through some Sumerian texts and read about this guy who was a big king, and he boasted that his throne room contained some of the original wood from the ark. And so it was kind of common knowledge all throughout the world that there had been a huge flood and that some people were saved through it. And then this guy had part of the ark. And a lot of the buzz around is that when people got off the ark, they cut it up and made houses out of it and burnt the rest of it because they were sitting on top of a mountain and they needed firewood. And so there's a lot of reason why we might not see the ark as it was. But even still, it's all throughout history. There's different recollections of it. So if you ever get a chance to go to creation, no, not the creation museum, the ark museum, uh, talk to Fred. He could probably line you up with some stuff, but it's pretty amazing. Anyway, that's not all of what we're going to talk about today. What we want to talk about is that all these people up to then didn't hear the fullness of the message. And so in verse 10, it says here that Jesus also went, okay, um, he made proclamation to the spirits that were um, in prison. I think this is a really strange verse. You know, I thought, what does that mean? Because sometimes we think, well, a person that doesn't know Christ is going to go to hell. And that was one of my biggest problems before I became a Christian, was God just? Because I wondered if they didn't turn to Christ, would they be sent to hell? What about all the people that never heard of him? Well, this verse indicates that there's a place, and I'm 80% sure of this. So if you want to argue it, argue, and I'll agree with 20% of your argument. But 80% of it, I'm going to stick with this. And uh, I don't want to be dogmatic. But the idea here is that there's a holding pen, (laughs) a prison, for people before the cross who died without understanding a saving message. And that Jesus went and preached to them or proclaimed to them, and I'm thinking he probably proclaimed the gospel, and that they then had a chance to get out of the prison and join other believers then who were asleep, as it's called. And this is kind of an interesting thing to show God's mercy, and that Jesus went and proclaimed to them. I go back to, so how many of you have ever watched The Lord of the Rings? What about this bunch over here? (laughs) Okay, we might have a Lord of the Rings show sometime. But in this, 
there was a whole group of people from this race or something, I don't know, that didn't fulfill a vow. And they ended up between life and death, and they were in kind of a prison. And that's when I was reading this, I thought, wow, this is interesting that they had no finalization to their life. And the same thing with these noatic people, they <clears throat> did not have closure. They were neither fully alive or fully dead, and they were in prison. And when they came to Christ, then they had the choice to either get in or get out. So you can study that out, and, then, and since Tom knows all about all this, you can argue with him about it, um, and not me. And so anyway, I think this is a nice way for God to show his mercy um, to people, and, um, and then especially to the eight people. So <clears throat> the eight people got saved from the flood, <clears throat> and it's interesting to look at science in the flood because the geology of the world changed significantly, and to, to study that out is amazing. When I was in college back before some of you were, um, I did some papers to pass into my instructor, and they didn't like it. And um, but I I studied this out, and I go, this is not only biblical, but it's scientific if you study it out. So it's it's kind of worth studying to make your faith a little bit stronger in what's going on. Okay, so all these people died. Then he saved a few. Okay. During the construction of the ark, which is the waters, eight persons were brought safely through the water. God um, walked with Noah. God saved the righteous. So how does God protect and or save the righteous now? And let's just move on to the next slide here. Okay, so baptism corresponds to the ark. And you're kind of thinking, whoa, what's this about? So there's three kinds of baptism, well, four kinds of baptism. And one kind is when a little infant gets baptized, and that's to guarantee him a life of faith and, and eternal life process and all this stuff. I was baptized when I was a little squirt, like eight. And I, you know, fine. And I had no say in it. You know, eight, little eight-day-year-old kids don't argue with their parents. Some of them might, but I didn't. And then <clears throat> the next one is a baptism that simply means that you're going to be a follower of someone. So in the old times, there might be some leader of some kind that would be baptized. You would be baptized under his leadership. The third kind would be baptized <clears throat> in the name of Jesus to be a follower of Jesus. So baptism was a sign of your commitment to live a life following that person. And in Jesus's case, he was a rabbi. He asked for people to follow him. And then people that did got baptized in his name. And then we're commanded <clears throat> to baptize followers in the Great Commission. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them, which I happen to think is interesting. It's not ask them to be baptized. It's baptizing them. And so the onus is on us to baptize those who are not baptized once they believe. And so that baptism is there. And the last baptism is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, where you're engaged in um, what he does and fully 
covering us. So it, it generally means, the word means, to be covered or fully whelmed, where the word overwhelmed comes from. And so it's basically not sprinkling, it's being covered by. And so here, we go back to the original title, um, does baptism save you? Yes, it does. But saves you from what? So the interesting thing here is to look at the word saved, or the word salvation. So there's one salvation that saves you from hell. Baptism doesn't save you from hell. And a lot of people will think it does because of this verse. Well, they're not reading the context. And <clears throat> so if you think that, <clears throat> that's, not, that's a work that you might be doing. And so <clears throat> if we read the rest of this, it says, corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Well, Chris, it's as plain as day. Baptism saves you. But <clears throat> it says, not the removal of dirt from the flesh. So it has to do with, it's not going to purify you. It's not going to make you a new person in Christ. It's not going to bring eternal life to you. But an appeal to God for a good conscience. So does everybody know what conscience means? Where's Tom? He always knows all the answers. We'll have to look at Fred. Fred, do you know what conscience means? Fred, okay, ask Fred. And <clears throat> basically it <clears throat> means that there's a little person in here. Like we had chili judges last night. <clears throat> this would be little life judges are inside your brain. <clears throat> and when they come across situations, a little voice will pop up and go, you know, Chris, you shouldn't have said that. Or Chris, you shouldn't have thought that. And then <clears throat> if I like saying that <clears throat> or like thinking that, <clears throat> I'll go boom to my conscience and I'll harden my conscience. And then I won't want to listen to it anymore. But this is an appeal to God for a good conscience. So we're going to look at that in a little bit here, but um, that was what, what this does is salvation is not <clears throat> from, from our sin, because it's not the removal of dirt from the flesh, <clears throat> but an appeal to God for the good conscience. And what that means is that once you're baptized, you're, you've been obedient to Jesus, and you can have a good conscience. You can never have a good conscience if you never have been baptized after coming to Christ, because it's a, a command, and you need to do it, and if you don't do it, that little judge up in your head will say, oh, you haven't been baptized. <clears throat> so when I heard about this, I was like a freshman at Iowa State, and I'm going, oh, I got to get baptized. And I was not a happy camper <clears throat> about baptism. And <clears throat> one is I used to be afraid of um, standing up in front of people about my faith. I used to be even more afraid because where they baptized was the main pool at Iowa State. I used to be even more afraid because I was a lifeguard at that pool. I also was on the, um, uh, the, uh, on the swim team, and I also played water polo. So everybody I knew was there. And there was a whole crowd of people, and they wanted to baptize me there. And I'm scared to death. It doesn't mean I got out of being baptized. That was no excuse. It just meant I was a chicken. 
And so I thought about it. I go, oh, I got to get baptized. So I went and got baptized because that allowed me then never to worry about getting baptized again. I have a good conscience about baptism now. And then later on, because I was still a bit of a chicken and people would ask me to baptize them, I would always slough it off to somebody else. But God, you know, showed me I didn't have a good conscience about that. And so that little judge up in your head, we need to listen to it. And and uh, there's a big reward in a sense about your life. So how does baptism save you? <clears throat> so here we are in the midst of a world that's kind of going downhill fast. I think it's been bad all along. It's just been covered a little better than it is now. And how do we live as Christians in a world that's so disgusting? And if you spend any time digging in a little bit about the stuff that people are doing, you're just, you're going to be amazed. And one reporter recently about the Israel-Hamas stuff and the killing of little children was in tears when she was doing a report on TV because she said there was no mercy anywhere. And that had, I don't know that that's happened before where the reporter was crying. And it's, it's just, we see so much evil. So here, how does this change us? So I better look at my notes, make sure I don't get ahead of myself here for a second. Um, so it's of faith. And what that means is that we become worried, concerned, not worried, concerned about having a good conscience. So this verse here in 1 Timothy 1.5, it ought to be plastered in your brain about what the purpose of God's word is. So here it is. But the goal of our instruction. So when Tom gets up here to talk, or Andrew, or Fred, or I, or I think Austin, you'd come up and, and OJ, the goal of our instruction should be love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. So if I get up here and I'm ticked off at all the redheads in this room because I'm not a redhead. <clears throat> and actually, I'm not much of anything anymore, but, you know. <laughs> uh, and actually, I was teasing Austin about that. I guess I have a son that's a redhead, so somewhere there's redheads in my family. But um, if I'm angry and envious of redheads, I have a bad conscience. I don't have a pure heart. And how can I talk to you guys and instruct you how to love people if the foundation of who I am is polluted. And so sometimes in, we've had these little groups where we deal with these issues, and I've added that on the back of your handout. And the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart. So it talks a little bit. I guess it's not on the back. It's on the front. And there's, there's questions to ask yourself. Do I have a good heart? And one of those is to kind of search through all the people you know <clears throat> and think, am I angry with any of these people? Am I ticked off <clears throat> at my uncle because he said I'm getting too heavy at last Christmas and he called me fat? Am I mad at him? It doesn't take much to have a bad conscience. Or do you have bad attitudes towards anybody else and your heart's not pure. 
Or are you harboring sinful desires and your heart's not pure? Well, baptism is the first step in the process of you being aware of your conscience. And some of us before Christ didn't even know we had a conscience and much less cared about keeping it up. Well, God is really concerned about us having a good conscience. So baptism is an appeal for a good conscience. And how that saves us is that we end up going through life changing. So the first things that changed when I was um, saved, when I was 18, is I dropped my relationship with my girlfriend because I had a bad conscience. The second thing is I dropped my relationship with um, beer. And not completely, because I don't think you have to completely, but I was a little bit over the edge. And so I had negative things to clean up out of my life to have a good conscience. And then I started thinking about what do I need to have a good conscience in to become mature. And so over time, what that did is it protected me or saved me from the influence of friends. And when I went to Iowa State, I was watching all the other freshmen coming in, and this was back in 71, and all these little guys coming from the farm and all this ended up being exposed to beer and being unlimited, and also marijuana. And I noticed among the freshmen, after about three or four weeks, they changed. And the marijuana smokers were always a step off. They weren't what they were when they first came. And I thought, you know, their whole life was kind of starting to get messed up because of bad choices, bad consciences about what God entailed for their life. So anyway, let me see where we're at here. <clears throat> Baptism not only saves you, or doesn't save you uh, for heaven and hell, but it sure saves you from the effects of a life that's given to sin if you listen to your conscience, and it changes you <clears throat> so that you have a higher standard. I was reading 1 Thessalonians 3, and he was talking about how much they love everybody and how excited Paul was that they love people. And right after that, he says, but I want you to excel still more. So if you think you're good at stuff, read that, and you go, okay, I need to excel <laughs> still more so that we could um, grow even more. Okay, where are we at here? I don't know where we're at. Might be done. Let's see what's where we're at here. Oh, here we are, our last slide. So I don't come up here all the time. I need to put numbers on my, my pages so that we can get this correctly done. Baptism is important initially to start the process of having a good conscience so that you can end up with a life that's different. And your friends will notice it and they will respond, go, what happened to you? And that happened to me. People ask me that question because there should be fruit that comes from having a good conscience. And then continue in having a good conscience. So um, all of us in here <clears throat> still sin. Would that be correct? Tom, don't answer. And we still sin. But how do we get a good conscience? Well, one of the things, and it's in your... Um, book or your notes is in um, first, no, it's in um, James. It says that we need to confess our sins, that we get healing. And so 
you don't confess your sins to a whole pile of people because not everybody's trustworthy to keep things away from others. So you find one or two people. We used to call these LTG groups. I'm in one with one of my sons. And we go through a whole list of questions to make sure our conscience and our heart is good. And so it's just practical questions, and they go over a whole litany of things because I don't want to get a hardened heart. And if you confess that, you're agreeing that this is wrong and that you're open to change. And so get yourself somebody that you trust, your same gender, that isn't going to be a gossip, and, and meet with them and go through some of these questions. And I've been doing this probably about 20 years, I don't know, and off and on with different groups. And it keeps me centered in the love of Christ and keeps me from getting off on the deep end. So anyway, these notes are available for you to look at the worksheet here and um, <clears throat> and might help you. If you have questions afterwards here, then you might want to talk to Tom or Fred. And um, I think we're going to go ahead and pray and be done way early compared to other times. So we just pray. Lord, thank you today that baptism is kind of a startling verse here. Baptism saves you, but it's not the way we think. And Lord, it's saving us from a world of hardship and difficulty. And so baptism saves us from the effects of this world. And we want to have a good conscience, which is what you um, do for those that get baptized and you allow them to continue on in a relationship with you. And so we just pray that you'd bless us as a church, that we'd be tight with our love and our consciences would be good, our hearts would be pure, and that we'd have a sincere faith to follow what your word says. And so I pray you just bless us the rest of this day and help us get through this worksheet and not just throw it in a drawer somewhere. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this, please be sure to subscribe. To learn more about Grace Church, visit our website, wlgrace.org. See you next week.